Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to Fantasy Fireside and today I'm here with Colin once again to discuss Warhammer Fantasy and uh, we're doing a, a, a very, uh, how should I say this, a very popular request from the comments that I've been observing over the last few months. Uh, Colin, would you like to reveal what faction we're talking about today? I would be delighted to. Today we are talking about the Dowie, or the dwarfs in not Warhammer speak. Dwarves. Everyone, uh, everyone likes dwarfs. I know it's well known. Mm. I'm partial to my elves, but that doesn't mean I dislike dwarfs. I quite like dwarfs, and in Warhammer Fantasy, I think uh, dwarfs have got to be up there in factions I like. Mm. So, so, oh. so, so what with like a, a rundown of what we're going to be doing today? Are we are we going to go through like? different factions or specific characters like what's what what should the the audience be expecting for this one it'll just be a nice uh, chill little brief overview of their history talk about uh you know some of the, the big stuff that happened a uh, little bit of tabletop how they play a little bit about their culture just uh dip dip your toes into a little bit of everything nothing super in depth just uh nice little chill little talk about hey you ever see those short angry people this is uh this is what they're all about <laughs> <laughs> that can be misconstrued for a lot of it. I've been to Wales. <laughs> no, 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 not that. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, is there uh, anything in particular, any questions you got beforehand before we dive in? Or I suppose um, I'm, I'm assuming that there isn't a... How, how do I put this? Like, when you think of like the, the, the different races in Warhammer, are they part of, like, the not first founding, but, like, there was, like, there was a big super-duper being, and then there was this, 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 and they were part of that original, like, we made this batch of things. Um, is I, I, I'm not sure exactly, like, if, if everything just came into fruition, other than the Skaven, like, came into fruition all at once, or if the, there were, like, different... Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, and that's actually the perfect way to put it. You're actually pretty close with how it works. Uh their history begins, uh, their version of their history is that their ancestor gods shaped them from the earth and taught them culture and all that good stuff. Uh, the non-dwarf version of their history is that the old ones, like you said, the big super being, uh, it's still the old ones in fantasy. Uh, when they came to the Warhammer world, they started making races to fight against chaos. They wanted to make the perfect anti-chaos race. And the elves were first. They made the elves, and they were they weren't uh, they weren't what they were looking for. You know, they were very powerful with magic. They were more than happy to fight in a war, but they were a bit too frail. Uh, they were prone to following their ambitions, a bit uh, like kind of selfish almost. And so, just overall, not what they were looking for. Uh, so yeah. they uh, they made sure Ulthwan, the Island of the Elves, was all nice and good for them. Uh, did still, you know, help them out a bit. They didn't just throw them to the wind. Uh, they gifted culture and all that stuff. But they moved on to round two, which was the dwarfs. So they uh, took what they learned from the elves and switched the formula around a bit. So what they did with the dwarfs was uh, not only can dwarfs, for the most part, not use magic... Uh, they're so anti-magic that when dwarves, if you get enough dwarves around, you just can't use magic. Uh, they're, it's almost like they're a race of blanks. That's interesting. Uh, I didn't realize that. That's very interesting. It's yeah. not not quite blanks because they do have souls. 
It's just like the way they're made. <laughs> <laughs> Dwarves have souls, they guys. They have Come souls, on. I swear. <laughs> Uh, no, it's like it's not like you know they, they're not blanks. They have a soul or not, um, but it's it has such a stabilizing effect on chaos and magic that non like weaker magicians can't, just can't use magic. And uh, you'll be hearing a lot of this this episode. And Gotrick and Felix, uh, Gotrick and another dwarf, Malachi McKyson, get blasted by this wizard's uh, just you know magical kamehameha. They just stand there and take it. You're like, you think a dwarf is gonna bow to this weak stuff? Come on, uh, they just it just doesn't work. So the old one gave gave them that ability. They made them uh, proficient with crafting, technology, and mining, and all the classic dwarf stuff. And made them they uh, they saw that the elves were uh, you know ambition could lead to problem. Uh, so they made them not only very uh, like oriented towards clan, family, all that. Uh, they made them a very conservative culture because they figure it's like they're going to be very slow and steady with things. That way, chaos can't wrong foot them. So, essentially, to anyone who's not familiar, they're, it's like they're they're the antithesis to the like you've got a spectrum. And it's like one side it's the uh, elves, mm-hmm. the other side it's the dwarves, and then I guess humanity's somewhere in the middle. Uh kind of humanity. They want to they tread some kind of different like in the middle. But also different. It's weird. Maybe in the mm. another time we'll cover that mess that is humanity in these settings. <laughs> the mess. Uh, that's the video title. Right? The mess that is humanity. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just as messy in fantasy as it is in 40k. Uh, but uh, while the uh, the old ones did uh, get what they wanted, it, it almost went too well, and the dwarfs' steadiness and refusal to like adapt proved to be more than a weakness like chaos could trick them much easier than the elves and magic like inability to use magic it ended up just being more of a hindrance than a help because uh, it turns out being able to summon a firestorm is quite handy when you need to kill a lot of demons yeah no matter how big your hammer is it's not quite that is it it's not quite a big tornado yeah. with a lightning or anything like that <laughs> it's like even even if like every swing is a dead demon you make the elf casting firestorm is going to get a lot more than one demon per firestorm. Uh, that kind of deal. Yeah, it's just the whole. That still only counts as one. It's they, like, does it? It's like, no, I don't think it does. does. Yeah, and uh, they're uh, another thing is like they gave them the like an emphasis on oaths and keeping records and all that stuff, which on the one hand did help them, you know, respect each other and be loyal more than anything else. But as I'll touch in later, they're so obsessed with oaths and, like, honor that it kind of hurts them more than it helps them. So, old ones moved on, but the dwarves were given culture, I believe, to merge the two stories. Uh, The old ones taught the first dwarves uh, culture, and those dwarves spread around to the rest of them, uh, is how I try and merge the two mythologies of the dwarves themselves and the old ones. So, moving on, the uh, they have those dwarfs, be it either their gods who taught them everything or the gods or the ones who taught were taught by the old ones, they are known as the ancestor gods because the dwarfs worship their ancestors beyond all else. And the main ones, the three main ones, are Valaya, Grimnir, and Grungni. Uh, Valaya, goddess of hearth, home, she's the mother of the dwarfs. Grungni is the uh, goddess of craftsmanship and, you know, the... Cl- the classic, the dwarfs hammering away at his anvil. He's that god. 
And Grimnir is the god of... It's not... He's a war god, but it's not soup like not a war god like you know Ares or Cain or Corn, because the dwarfs, if they can help it, don't want to go to war. They're more than willing. But... <laughs> He's a reluctant war god. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like most, oh, fine, I'll. <laughs> it's like most most other like you know in Warhammer the war gods. It's like they're they're happy to be there. Like you know Cain, the Avatar of Cain, Corn and his bloodthirsters. They're more than happy to be yeah. in the battlefield. Yeah, Kane has no side hobbies. He's just like, I just fight. <laughs> I That's just my whole deal. like to kill. Uh, although I guess in fantasy, Kane does have a hobby, and it's screwing with his followers. <laughs> uh, but... So they can keep fighting, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the dwarves, not super into war, although they are more than happy to throw down if they need to. Uh, so Grimnir's that god, uh, as well as the god of slayers we'll talk about later. And they were the, you know, the first rulers of the dwarves, and over time they would become the ancestor gods. And then we get to the bit uh, in Warhammer Fantasy early lore where chaos invades through the portals the old ones were using to ferry materials and whatnot to the Warhammer world. So the old ones leave, and for the most part, the dwarves' response is uh, to shut the door of their holds and <laughs> just, just, just wait the problem out. Uh, which, to be like fair, demons shut the door. That's what we need to do. I mean, that's pretty much what they did. And to be fair, I mean it. It worked well enough. Uh, but one dwarf, one divine dwarf specifically, that god Grimnir, wasn't having that. Uh, so he marched to the chaos wastes, built himself a fortress, and basically just told all of chaos to come at him. And uh, <laughs> he was literally come at me, bro, personified. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's what he's been doing in Warhammer lore until the end times, which I believe is about oh, six thousand uh, years long. He's just been sitting bad. in the warp, murdering demons. Again, you got to have a hobby. I mean, Kane yeah. and him. Uh, this is something to do. I mean, if you're an eternal being with ultimate power, you might as well do something useful, yeah. unlike some other gods from even Warhammer who are just kind of like. Like corn in 40k is like what's he up to sitting down so uh, it's just uh just waiting for something i don't know doesn't really seem that active you know at least at least the emperor has a has his lighthouse hobby to keep him busy corn's mm. just like no i'm i'm sitting on the chair again i'm watching the orcs fight <laughs> my generals on my throne so the equivalent of just like a guy watching the super bowl every day yeah on repeat <laughs> like, do you ever do anything it's like no this is all i do i do this Sometimes I go grab beer. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so with that, the uh, the great incursion of chaos for the dwarfs is over. Like I said, they kind of just waited it out. Uh, the elves and lizardmen were the ones doing the fighting. The dwarves were like, you have fun over there, everyone. Yeah, just like with a cup of tea, just peeking through the keyhole. Yeah. Like, They're going well. Yeah. I'll chin up. Keep going. <laughs> I'll check on you in ten years. <laughs> yeah, they had their ale and waited. Uh, but once, you know, they, uh, once everything was over, they reached out into the world. And, you know, as we know, dwarfs live in mountains, and the Warhammer fantasy ones are no exception. But they got pretty pretty ambitious with it. So, Andy, if you remember the World's Edge Mountains, which are kind of at the mm -hmm. edge of Warhammer Europe, <clears throat> uh, that's where the dwarfs live. Only they used to have this massive empire stretching through all of it. Um, they had what's called the Underway, which is basically an underground highway just across the entire thing. 
and it's how they traded, it's how they traveled and explored. They would build it out, they'd mine from it, they would put entire cities in it, especially since most of their cities are underground, them being dwarfs and all. Mm. And they built just many of these most monumental and amazing things. And actually, this is kind of the Roman Empire equivalent of fantasy, uh, because okay. ancient uh, religious texts to Sigmar in the Empire are actually written in Kozilid, uh, the dwarf language, much like uh, oh. ancient Christian texts were in Latin. Uh, dwarfs were, they were very influential. And, you know, as they were spreading out, developing, trading with themselves and all that, they eventually came into contact with the elves. And you might think, oh, this is going to be miserable. This is going to be a bloodbath. But actually, no. When they first met each other, they became the best of friends, the two races. Uh, it helped that, aside from each other, like, they were the only other civilized races they had found. Uh, because any humans they found were either still in the barbarian, like, like Germanic tribe stage, uh, or were the tomb kings, who, if they did fight, it usually ended with Cetra handing them their asses. So, <laughs> so they, they just stayed away. So they weren't keen on being friends with him. Um, so they were good friends. And funnily enough, uh, it was Malekith. I know you've heard a little bit about him, the king of the Dark bit, Elves. Yeah. Who was actually, when he was still just, there was just elves, and he was just part of the elves, he actually became best friends with the dwarf high uh, king who uh, they made contact with, named Snorri so this Whitebeard. Is... This is pre-douchebag. This like, is yeah. Malekith. This is pre-douchebag <laughs> Malekith when he was uh, actually a pretty like noble, chill dude. Uh, they even like I think Malekith gave him a goblet, uh, like a wine goblet made out of Ithilmar, which you know mm -hmm. uh, uh, Frodo's like uh, the Mithril vest. Uh, yeah. Imagine someone just making a wine goblet out of Mithril. Which is basically oh, what he did. <laughs> That'd be quite nice. Yeah, and, just put it in a museum. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think they uh, Snorri gave Malekith like this wonderfully crafted like horse armor. Uh, so, yeah, they, they were... <laughs> oh no, not horse armor! Seven pounds for horse armor in oblivion. Oh, I've still <laughs> oh. got the scars. Yeah, he's uh, no. Legends, no more horse armor. Le legend says Snorri had another name, Todd Howard. Yeah. Uh, but you know they were they were good friends. Uh, although I actually I did skip over one thing uh, from the incursion on chaos. One thing that did happen with the dwarfs. A uh, bit of a backtrack, real quick. Uh, there was a group of dwarfs who expanded eastward into what is known as the Darklands, and when chaos came into the world, they were cut off from not only the ans not only the other dwarfs, but the ancestor gods themselves. Uh, who would come to hate them because they saw themselves as being abandoned by their kin and gods. And, oh, uh, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> guessing that... this is the Chaos Dwarves. Like, wow. It, it might oh, be. Oh, we went a bit too far away. We got, okay. Wah, wah, wah. Shut up. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a. They're not quite full Chaos Dwarves yet, but they're on the fast track. Uh, but moving on to the, you know, the Dwarf Dwarves. A little bit of a backtrack because I just remembered I skipped past it. My bad. That's okay. Uh, so, these two races are friends, and for a while, it's things are just good. Like, the High Elf colonies are spreading across the Old World and beyond. Uh, the dwarfs are expanding more and more throughout the mountains, and even though they don't get too much out into the, you know, open fields and stuff, they do have little outposts everywhere now and then. And, you know, things are good. Uh, although, unlike most 
I feel like actually not pretty much unlike pretty much every almost every other major event in Warhammer, chaos didn't involve itself too much with this. Uh, the downfall of the elves and the dwarves. Uh, what ends up happening is that over time, you know, although they're still good friends, uh, they start, you know, headbutting each other a bit, like you know, just button heads. Uh, Novelty's worn off a little bit. Yeah, like, the, the it's no- like like a marriage, like oh, oh it's, mm, the magic's wearing off a bit. Yeah. Oh, he's leaving his socks on the floor. Oh, that's annoying. Like oh, a, he's not doing the dishes. That's annoying. It's just building up. <laughs> like uh, like you know, like you know, elves are very you know they're very regal and prim and proper, and everything will be done according to social graces and politeness. And, you know, that's not to say dwarves can't be very regal and polite uh, and stuff, but. Once, once you know, once formalities are uh, uh, concluded, it's time to break out the keg, and every dwarf is going to do a keg stand with their own keg that they brought. Mm. Whereas the yeah. elves are all about you must uh, temper yourselves and be nice and prim and proper and polite, and then the dwarf would chug a kale of a keg of beer and then burp loud enough to register on the Richter scale, yeah, and then do a massive fart. And you're like, yeah. oh, dwarves never change. Yeah, so it's like they, they don't they don't hate each other yet. But like you said, the novelty's wearing off a bit. Uh, and then, and then it's time for Malekith to ruin things. Mm. Uh, something of note is that before Malekith became the worst, when Snorri Whitebeard died peacefully of old age. Uh, Malekith was at his deathbed, which should go to show you just how much they used to respect the elves, that a dwarf was, an elf was allowed to witness the death of their high king. Mm. And Malekith swore an oath that the dwarfs and elves would remain, would remain friends forevermore, and he would do all in his power to keep that oath. And that is a very relevant thing to keep in mind for later. Yeah. Can, uh, can I uh, ask a quick question? By all means. How many dwarves do you know in Warhammer lore that died peacefully in their sleep? Uh, after this, not many. In fact, <laughs> I don't know if there's any after this guy. Mm. Uh, so, with that in mind, during this time uh, after his death, uh, Snorri Whitebeards, that is, Malekith and his mom Marathi decided, uh, well, Marathi had always been kind of an evil bitch, uh, Malekith just decided he would join her, tried to become the Phoenix King by force, uh, was defeated and driven off, and now the Dark Elves are a thing. But Malekith still remembered that, <clears throat> hey, wait a minute, I want to be king, but the elves who are not the people who came with me to the wastelands of Canada uh, are still friends with the dwarfs. <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, that's where Nagarond is, it's Warhammer Canada. <laughs> mm-hmm, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, they just got like a really messed up maple leaf as their flag. Like, yeah, <laughs> just just very gothic. Yeah, uh, but Malekith, you know, he would have known that you know, although they were still good friends, the novelty had worn off, and you know, there were some tensions between dwarves and elves, mostly over small stuff, nothing too big. But Malekith knew he was a cunning f- man. He uh, he was gonna provoke things a bit, and it worked out better than he could ever have hoped. What he did was he had. Uh, taken some armor that was high elven armor, disguised some of his troops in it, because the thing about, like, dark elves, they're not a different race. Like, it's more of, like, a factional thing than anything. They're yeah. not a different race than regular high elves. It's not like, not like, um, is it is it in Elder Scrolls you've got, like, the Falmor and the high elves, a different Oh, yeah, species? like, there's, like, there's the Dunmer, the Bosmer, the Altmer. 
Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not like that. Like the the dark elves and high elves, they're they're all elves. It's just different. You know, they don't they don't it's like, like each goths other. Goths are not the same as emos, though, but they are both human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Malekith dressed his soldiers in this and had him raid and sack dwarven caravans and leave just enough evidence behind to suggest that was the high elves who did that. Just lots of inconspicuous, like high elven armor, and like, <laughs> just laying around. Some... Like like letter saying, "Bye, mum. Can't wait to slay." It's just like signed, random, anonymous, high elf. You're like, hmm, <laughs> this doesn't look set up at all. Yeah, that's uh, that's about what happened. So, uh, this actually though did not immediately lead to uh, just awful, horrible things, uh, because the dwarf at the time, the dwarf high king was a wonderful man, wonderful dwarf, named Gotrick Starbreaker. Now, his name is Gotrick, oh. uh, no relation, but his name is Gotrick, which means this man, is uh, he kicks ass, this dwarf. We know why he was called Starbreaker, because that's a cool title. Uh, I don't believe I could find a reason for it. I think it's just, that is an awesome name. <laughs> It was just like, we need to give this character status. Give him the baddest, I, most cool yeah, title. Just Gotrick be like, yeah. Starbreaker. Like, that's... That's peak names right there. Uh, he was a chill dude, though. Uh, usually, like, a lot of the dwarves immediately were, were praying for blood. He told them all to calm down, and he sent an envoy to the Phoenix King of the High Elves. And was just like, hey, what, what's up with this? What happened? Uh, and he, like, he was really, he, was, he, he didn't want, like, payment or blood. He was like, I just want to know why it looks like a bunch of your soldiers killed, like, our trading caravans. And the Phoenix King at the time was named, uh, <clears throat> Kalador II. Uh, Kalador II? Uh, yes. like a patch for an RPG character. What was that? Kalador II, I guess, is probably the, the uh, better the second, way to put yeah. it. Although um, you could have titles like Starbreaker and The Second. It's a bit, a bit lame. Yeah. Uh, he's also known, uh, by both races, High Elves and Dwarves alike, as Kalador the Fool. Uh, and a lot of other oh. not nice things because, and even among the high elves, they think he's an idiot. And when a high elf is calling another high elf an idiot, when they're not just busy sucking each other off, that's when you know that <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a clown. And so when the dwarf and envoy got to Kalador to the second, the the return, uh, and asked for an explanation, he told them to go to hell and just ignored them. <laughs> so. The uh, things changed. Uh, what happened was Gotrick then sent a, the next envoy. Was like, all right, fine. It's you have two choices now. You're either going to pay us for what was destroyed, or you're going to pay us in blood, and we're going to kill some of you until we think it's even. And Got or Kalador's response to this was to shave the beard of the dwarf envoys. <gasps> no, uh, which already bad for dwarfs. In Warhammer, it's a te step further, as many things in Warhammer are, and beards are sacred. Uh, like if you like shaving a dwarf's beard, they would rather you just kill them. And uh, now it was uh, it was time for blood. There was no more. There was no more asking. The elves clearly, at least from their point of view, are not only attacking them, but now committing the highest disrespect on them that's possible. So. The War of the Beard is what the elves call it. The War of Vengeance is what the dwarfs call it. 
it was on. And this is basically World War One for Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, across the old world, the High Elf Colonies and the Karazhan Corps, the Kingdom of the Dwarfs, they just start wailing on each other, and it is brutal. Uh, the end result is that at some point in the war, uh, Gotrick loses his son to the elves, which puts the, him uh, pretty solidly at this point in second place in the Hating Elves competition in fictional universe. Uh, easy mm -hmm. second. Uh, so, yeah, he's... Uh, the end result is Kaelor the idiot, the fool, the stupid, no-good Phoenix King gets his head cut off, and the grudge is resolved. Hey, love uh, to see it. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the war because it's a war, created a lot more grudges against the elves uh. and drastically weakened both races. Uh, and what the end result of this is, on the elves' end, they all get recalled back to Ulthuan as the uh, colonies need to be recalled home because the dark elves took this chance and invaded the continent again. And the dwarves, although the elves have been kicked out and they didn't really lose territory because the elves all went back home, they lost a lot of resources and manpower. They're now broke. And I'm assuming this whole time humanity's just been watching, picking their nose, going, Look at that thing. Oh, it's quite a tall thing, fighting a very small thing. Wow, that's that's impressive. I yeah, they just sat, tilling the fields. <laughs> they just yeah, they sat there like, I don't know what a cannon is, but that is really loud and then yeah. someone exploded. I don't want to be Maybe over there. Maybe my right great, now. great 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 grandson will develop that cool boom <laughs> box machine. What's a machine? I don't, I, know. I don't know. But for now, let's I'm... go eating raw meat again. It's fine. <laughs> for now, I'm gonna walk about a mile in the other direction because I am afraid mm. right now. Uh, but yeah, the dwarfs. Now things theoretically could have been better. They were weakened, but like their main enemy is gone, and you know the underway is still nice and secure. Their holds are still nice and secure. Uh, except now it's time for the Time of Woes, uh, the dwarf version of the Age of Strife. Uh, what happens was a, uh, a one-two punch. Uh, the first one I know I talked about it in our uh, Skaven Beginner to Expert. Go watch mm. that if you haven't. Which was the Skaven decided to expand their capital city with a giant destructive machine that worked a bit too well and caused entire mountain ranges to collapse. And the dwarfs live in mountains and their underways are in the mountains. So mm. that did some damage. The just picturing like the first guy who ever heard like the rattling noise in his study with a newspaper like headline elves suck and he's just there with his cup of tea and he's just like everything shaking going what the hell and just burst through <laughs> yeah his and then study. green nuclear fire erupts throughout his house <laughs> yeah poor guy the uh, the second thing was the the lizardmen you know the slan the direct servants of the old ones themselves looked at the planet and decided that these mountains needed to all be moved about five feet to the left. Uh, so they did so with magic, because Slan are busted. They just collectively moved the mountains a little bit over. <laughs> and I'm picturing that same dwarf. He's just, like, rebuilt his everything. He's <laughs> like, right, back to reading the newspaper. And then everything starts moving. Oh, for God's sake, God could you it. give me two minutes? <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, for people who's everything is built into the mountains. This did not agree with their structures. Uh, so, almost everything is just getting horribly destroyed. Uh, the wonderful fancy holds they've built that are decorated with both dwarf uh, and elven, just artifacts now lost to time, getting real smashed up. And I'm assuming they, they like a lot of 
uh, fantasy settings, the dwarves go hard when they're like, we're going to build a statue. How big? How big can we make it? Like 25 foot tall, stout dwarf looking statue. And they're like, that looks beautiful. And it's just cracked down the middle. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's like that. It's like, you know, like the Imperial Palace is the giant space marine and, you know, custodies. And the mm. pre- it's that just dwarfs. Uh, real big, real menacing, imposing, and it's all busted now. And mm. to top this off, uh, Andy, do you know just in fantasy settings in general what race is usually the biggest enemy of the dwarfs? Uh, so you had to mm, take a guess. It, it, take a guess. Take a guess. Well, you give me a hit. Not I, elves. I, I would, not elves. Oh damn. They're they're uh, big rivals. Usually they're not outright enemies. They're willing to work bob, with each other. Goblins. Uh yes. Uh, goblins oh, and orcs. Uh, uh, do not get around. I, I, I was thinking like my my brain went. Uh, what's Dragon Age? Darkspawn. Okay, that's unique to it. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Goblins, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Greenskins, Goblin, and Orcs, Dwarfs hate them. And the Time of Woes is one of the main reasons why. Because after the Slan and the Skaven just got done fisting the, the everlasting realm of the Dwarfs, <laughs> uh, the Greenskins saw these big old holes in the mountains with a lot of cool things in them and went, right, we wants that. What that down there? Oh, I'm gonna go have a look. Oh, yeah. there's little people. Oh, they got axes. This will be fun. Like orcs, no. It was pretty Stop much it. exactly that. And so Greenskin swarmed in and began taking dwarf holds. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, I found a funny hat. Brilliant, guys. Brilliant. Yeah, and uh, and when that wasn't enough, the Skaven were like, right, right. This is a whole lot more space to build in, <laughs> and people already built buildings for us. How wonderful! And then they just Brilliant. started attacking too. So between the War of the Beard, the the two races moving the Earth itself, and orcs, goblins, and skaven just marauding in, the dwarfs are now on the back foot horribly. Uh, I know, like, initially uh, they had some success against the skaven uh, because they have this armor called Gromril. Uh, that's the name of the metal that makes it, and it's basically unbreakable. Uh, what it isn't is resistant to gas attacks and flamethrowers, which the Skaven then invented to deal with the dwarfs. Uh, would, would it be fair to say at this moment in time they're having the worst time of any of the races at the time, or is there someone who's getting a worse deal? Uh, probably equally as bad as the High Elves, to be honest, because mm. while this was happening to the dwarfs, Malekith was undoing the, the magical vortex that kept demons from appearing all over the planet. Because ah, he decided yeah. we can't have a nice just uh, someone else having a lovely no. time. It's just no, everyone's having a bad time. You know, he could, because he decided that if he couldn't be the Phoenix King, no one could be Phoenix King. So everyone needs <laughs> yeah. to die. Uh, so no one's having fun right now. Uh, I guess. I mean, I guess the humans are not still picking their nose. I, like, yeah, it could, it could. It could be worse. <laughs> I guess for them. Uh, so the dwarfs are now just losing ground to everything. And uh, I know one of the uh, the capital of the dwarfs, Karazak Harak, was able to be kept secured, but they lost a lot of their other great uh, cities. There was one uh, called Karak Zorn, which is this like dwarf Atlantis, basically like dwarfs. Treasure hunters love to go seek it out and find its mm-hmm. riches. Uh, the last thing communication that was sent out by them was that they were under attack by lizardmen, and it was not going well for the dwarfs. And then uh. everything was cut off. So add lizardmen to the pile. So four against one. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, uh, there's Karak Eight Peaks, 
which is uh, Warhammer Stalingrad, uh, because the dwarfs, the goblins, and the Skaven are in a giant three-way war for it, with every now and then <laughs> one of them gains the upper hand, only to immediately oh, be booted out. Uh, so, and the Underway, of course, you know, was shattered by all the earthquakes and whatnot, and now it's filled with orcs and rats. So not great for the dwarfs. Uh, there is a little upturn, though, because I say once things are stabilized, once they stop getting worse, they're not good, but once they stop getting worse every five seconds, and it's like every you know every yeah. couple of years it's a new disaster instead of every yeah. couple of days. After uh, a, a dozen disasters, you get nostalgic for disaster number 10 because that was two disasters ago. And you go, that wasn't so bad. I enjoyed it then. <laughs> yeah, what, what you didn't. <laughs> yeah. What, once you got to that point where they calmed down enough, you could start ranking the disasters, uh, something good happens. And it's that the High King of the Dwarfs, Kurgan Ironbeard at this time, is captured by orcs. You might think, why is that good? It's good because this brings him into contact with a young barbarian chief named Sigmar Heldenhammer, or Sigmar Unberogen. Ah. Uh, before he's a god, he's just an angry Conan the Barbarian guy. And he rescues this dwarf from orcs. Uh, really what happens is Sigmar just shows up to kill the orcs. Uh, the dwarf sees this young lad going to town and is like, you know what? We should be like him. So he breaks free of his... I like him. <laughs> yeah. So he breaks free of his chains, uh, th tosses Sigmar, the legendary hammer Galmaraz. Uh, they all beat up the orcs, and the dwarfs for finally form an alliance again with Sigmar and his people, who would become the Empire of Mankind. Now, it's not perfect, because dwarfs have kind of become a bit mistrustful of others since the elf thing. But they swore that as long as the uh, Empire of Man didn't wrong them, they would be allies for the rest of time. Uh, so hey... Dwarfs have a friend now, and humans have a friend now, which I know, uh, 40k man as you are, that's quite different from the norm. <laughs> humans not genociding someone else on site. Yeah. Well, the thing <laughs> is, 40k doesn't really have much about the the, the leagues of Votan yet. And yeah. It's like, oh, well, they didn't they didn't really have a chance to be friends, because they eh. probably wouldn't be, because it's, it's 40k, but still. Yeah, no, that's fair. There's, they haven't been much time, and every other race is... The best you have is the Eldar, who will graciously decide not to kill you that day, because it doesn't yeah. benefit them. Uh, but yeah, no, they uh, two races are good friends, and the dwarfs, uh, they don't give them all of their secrets, but you know they give mankind uh, smithing, like how to work with iron, which is huge, because humanity had barely been in the Bronze Age by this point. <laughs> just uh, lots of like sheepskin. Like, yeah. I made this cool piece of armor, and the, the dwarves are just going... <sighs> No, get, come, get that come off. here, come here. This is an ingot. We're going to make it into a nice breastplate. Can you spell breastplate? Simpletons. Like. No, with an R, it's not beast plate. Put the lamb down. Mm, put, yeah. put the tongs down. We don't need the tongs yet. Jeez. We are not cooking. Please stop. Yeah, it's uh, it's that kind of thing. But you know, hey, they're friends. Yeah, um, in a way. Yeah, and so over time. It's a mix of, like, every now and then the dwarfs will gain a bit of ground, but it's largely a losing battle. It's just a very slow losing battle. Uh, like, every dwarf hold taken, and they are being lost, but, like, the casualty ratio is, like, one dwarf lost to, like, a hundred orcs or skaven or whatever. Probably, like, one to a thousand with the skaven. 
uh, but they are still losing things. And this trend kind of continues for a pretty long while. Until you get to modern fantasy, which is the time of Thorgrim Grudgebearer. Now, an important thing to know about the dwarfs is that they keep every single thing someone did wrong to them in a book called The Great Book of oh, Grudges. Yeah. That they write down with the blood of their king. He writes it in the book. Uh, and this guy, Thorgrim, was chosen to be the next High King by the last one as he was uh, dying from wounds. Although he died over the course of like a year to let the contest go through. Uh, so quite sturdy, that guy. Mm. And uh, Thorgrim made quite the declaration. And that was that he was going to wipe clean every single grudge in the book. Uh, a book that, mind you, dates back at least 4,000 years. All of them gone. He's uh, ambitious, Thorgrim, to say the least. It's like a really, really dark version of My Name is Earl. Like, right, here's all the bad things I've ever done, but you reverse it. Yeah, here's it's all the bad things hammer. you've done, and you're going to pay mm. for it. And karma's not going to save you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although, he's uh, he's a good king. Uh, and we, you know, he's, uh, he begins revitalizing the dwarfs for the first time in a while, they actually start taking ground. And that's what leads us to the modern times of Warhammer fantasy. Uh, he's somewhat moderate. Usually dwarfs, uh, if you wrong them, you can pay with gold, but odds are you're going to pay with blood. Thorgrim is much more open to be like, how about we hash out a deal? You give us some money and we'll forget the whole business. Uh, and you know, he's good with inventions, all that stuff. And things start, uh, Improving for the dwarfs for the first time in millennia. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. Uh, so before I, you know, we get to the sad bit, the end times. It must, it must always be covered. It is never a joy to cover it. Uh, although the dwarfs, I guess to be fair, thank you Dexcom for the surprise appearance. Uh, they do have some cool moments in the end times. I'll give them that, but it's still overall shit. Uh, but a bit before that. I said I'd talk about their culture a bit, so I will. They're, uh... The default fantasy template of dwarfs, you know, the short, they live in mountains, you know, they eat rocks, they drink a lot. That, you know, that applies to these dwarfs as well. There's, there's just a couple of things that stick out. One, of course, is those grudges and oaths. If a dwarf makes an oath, he's going to keep it. Like, every single thing in his power that he can possibly do, and then some more, he's gonna do it. Uh... And he expects you to do the same if you make him a, him an him an oath, like uh, Gotchik and okay. Felix actually starts because Felix uh, drunkenly causes a riot over a tax, <laughs> and uh, well, not drunkenly at the time he gets drunk, but at the time he's a dumb college kid who somehow incited a riot, and right as the royal bodyguards of the emperor Karl Franz himself are about to run him down. Uh, Gotrick steps in, murders them, because he's Gotrick Gernison, and he's allowed to just do that. <laughs> he's one of those characters who's just allowed to be yeah. as overpowered as he wants. <laughs> that reference to, uh, Parks and Rec, where it's just like, I have a permit, and he just gives it to the guy, and he goes, this just says, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that's Gotrick. <laughs> his, his permit is an axe. Uh, uh, Felix swears an oath to be his remembrancer, uh, funny enough. Uh, which is, mm. he uh, he will record the tale of Gotrick's death, so we preserve for posterity for all time. Uh, Felix did not know how seriously dwarfs take their oaths, and <laughs> <laughs> nearly left Gotrick's service, which probably would have resulted in his head getting cut off 17 books uh, before the series ended. Mm. 
Uh, and a good thing he didn't, because in another Gotrick and Felix book, uh, I'll get to that, but there's a... Oaths are very big business. Uh, actually, I can just get the example now. Another thing about them, if you wrong them, you're done. Uh, there was a tale of a human caravan, or a uh, like a human city, its ruler had a contract to some dwarfs to build on their wall, because dwarfs are real good at building stuff. So the dwarfs built them the wall, and when the payment was got covered, the humans shorted them about two coins worth of payment. Uh, probably just fell out of the wagon or out of the guy's pocket when he was carrying it, mm. to be honest. Dwarfs didn't care, so they went back to the town and killed everyone in it. Uh, because the the humans had wronged them, you see. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, they take their grudges seriously and their oaths very seriously. Uh, I, the... I have a, a question, if I may. Yes. Um, I know you say that, uh, I think it's, it was implied at the beginning that dwarves aren't very good at being, um, like duplicitous or sneaky or, or, or some such, mm -hmm. but has a dwarf ever tried to forge an oath or a grudge or something so that, uh, over, um, over, over uh, reaction to like, oh, uh, there's a grudge I have to uphold. Like, has anyone ever taken advantage of that that you know of? Other races, uh, happily, uh, but dwarf. It's kind of like a double-edged sword mm. because, like, the thing about dwarves, they will take that oath seriously and do it with their dying breath. But if you find out, if they find out you screwed with them, you're going in the book. Which yeah. means your head is coming off. Which They're means just that mo moving their anger to a different point. Like, I, I will harness this some other way. <laughs> yeah, which is which is why um, well, yes, you can do it. Other cultures have learned it's probably not worth it because the short term yeah. gain you get out of like, do like tricking them for this one oath, is not worth the long term loss of the dwarfs deciding your entire city is now on the shit list and yeah, needs to it, go. Yeah. Is one oath worth 10,000 grudges? Hmm. Yeah, it, it's pretty much, it's that. Uh, the, uh, you know, another general thing is they're very conservative. And when I say that, I don't just mean like, you know, liberal versus conservative. I don't mean that in that politics. I mean that if something isn't, hasn't been a blueprint for 500 years, it's considered dangerous and radical technology to the dwarves. Mm. Uh, they're kind of like the Mechanicus, only in 40k, you know, old tech is dangerous and scary and might be corrupted by demons. The dwarfs are just like, if this isn't 1 million percent reliable and tested over centuries, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, some of the younger engineers are usually a bit more radical, but a bit more radical means they'll only wait 50 years before they start uh, the prototypes yeah. rather than 500. And I suppose if you're an upstart and you go, I've got this cool contraption, and then you're, you've got a mentor, the mentor goes, I didn't say you could do that. That's going in the book. That's a grudge. Like, oh, God, I can't win. I can't win. Yeah. That, it usually does not lead to grudges for the most part, uh, but it does lead to them being like social outcasts for, mm. you know, being dangerous, radical thinkers. Uh, so they usually fall in line. Uh, some other little things. Uh, nepotism is not a dirty word to dwarfs. Uh, you know, we would see someone only get a job because they're like, you know, their dad is the boss of the company, and we'd go, what the hell? That's that's some BS right there. 
the dwarfs would go, well, yes, his dad is his dad runs the mining guild. Of course, he should be next in line. Does that um, transfer over to high kings, or is that more uh, you have to prove yourself? That is generally one of the more prove yourself positions, but mm. almost everything else under it is uh, if you know the if you know the guy, you're probably getting in. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's how they work that. Uh, and their most standout thing to me is the Slayer Oath. Uh, which is, say, uh, I don't know, say, let, two scenarios. Andy, let's say you've done something just horribly wrong. You've allowed a dwarf oh, no. army to fall, like, to goblin invaders, and it's something that's very easily and provably your fault, not just, you know, there was two oh, of no. you and 200 goblins. You know, that's that's not your fault. If you can oh, prove no. you screwed up bad, something like that. You oh, need no. to take the Slayer Oath, which means uh, you need to shave your head, except for a mohawk, dye that in your beard red, cover yourself in tattoos, and you now need to find death in battle, uh, such as Gotrick Gurnison's fate and many other Slayers. He is far from so the only he, one. So he's not a natural ginger? No, I believe he's actually uh, he's got brown hair. Ah, I see. Uh, of course, now we'll come to me for my grievous sin. Let's say I lost just a little bit too much money gambling one day. Well, oh, no. dwarfs like money, quite obsessively so. I'm taking the oath too, right along with you. <laughs> for some reason, I was just thinking, like, I wonder, like, what the the minorest thing, like, you own an elder, an elf body pillow, right? <laughs> you gotta shave your oh, head. <laughs> that's, that's the minimum. I mean, I don't even know if they'd let you take the oath. They might just kill you on the spot for that <laughs> one. Uh, but yeah, it's. And it's that little thing that, uh, especially in a lot of Warhammer novels, I like this a lot about fantasy and the dwarves in particular, is that they nail at home that these are not just short people who do things slowly and live a long time. Mm. They are, like, their their psychology, everything about them is alien to humanity. Like, they work on a different level than we do. Uh, It's it's like... I know I've already mentioned it again, but I love the series. It's like with Dragon Age, the dwarves in that one... When you first go to, if if you're if you don't start as a dwarf in the first game as like a character, you go there and you find out there's like a caste system, and there's like the royalty, there's like the the trades, and then there's like this underclass that live underneath the the building and like criminals and people who've shamed and they have like tattoos on their faces, and then if you're really bad, you have to be part of the Legion of the Dead and you have to basically man the wall against the Darkspawn that are trying to like grow up and kill you and i like that when when there's more to than oh they got beards and they drink ale and that's like that's the surface level but uh there's even a character in in the series who's like the only dwarf who has like shaved his beard and it's because he's a bard and he's like oh i'm not like a i'm not like the other dwarves i'm i'm a puckish rogue and he's like one of the most interesting characters but yeah i i, I feel like if someone was to get into warhammer fantasy uh, with no knowledge, uh, is there like a, a ba- other than Gotrek? Is there a bounty of like books about the dwarves, or is it a bit more slim pickings? Uh, there's a few. I know one of the it's called the the Omnibus. I'm actually reading right now. The Warlord of Eight Peaks uh, is about one of the three books, and it is about the uh, dwarf king Belagar Ironhammer, whose mm. family used to be the kings of that uh, Carrick Eight Peaks I mentioned, and. Uh, He's he's made it his life goal to retake it ever since he came about uh, to be the king of his clan Engrund. Uh, so 
there are some other stuff. Gotrick and Felix is far and away the best. Uh, but there's uh, there's that one. There's a couple others off the top of my head. I'm afraid I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, there is a book series, though, about the War of the Beard. Which So if you want to read some about that, Dwarves Killing Elves, Elves That's Killing cool. Dwarves, good time. There are some books about them. It's uh, Warhammer Fantasy. You know, it leans a bit more towards the uh, humans mostly and the elves kind of in second. But there are still there are still enough books for the the dwarf lover out there to get into. And uh, where was I? Oh yeah, uh, Slayer Oath. Uh, so you go to it's called uh, Karak Kadrin, the uh, the Slayer Hold, uh, which is the main gathering point of Slayers. It's where the shrine to Grimnir is. He's considered the first Slayer because he forsake everything to go hold the line against Chaos forever. So. They, uh, they write their name on this big pillar, and they are now considered dead by their friends and family. And they just need to find something big enough to kill. And they kind of have different ranks. Like, you know, you join, you're a slayer. And the first thing, you know, they usually do, they'll kill orcs. You know, they'll kill just random rotting whatever. And if that doesn't do them in, they move up. And that's how you get troll slayers, which is those slayers who've killed a troll. And it didn't kill them. And uh, this is where the thing about dwarfs, where you kind of really, it hammers home, like I was saying earlier, they're not people, they're alien. The longer they go without getting killed, because they are genuinely seeking death, like, they're not avoiding it, they're trying to die in battle. So, they start going a little bit, they get a little bit annoyed that Troll didn't kill them. So then they work their way up, and they go and fight a giant. And then they become giant slayers, so that still doesn't kill them. And by this point, they're not just annoyed, they're probably going a little bit crazy. So... And this is the uh, naming convention of the Gotrek and Felix books, isn't it? Uh, so yeah. It's, Slayer, uh, Slayer, it'll be like Slayer. X-Slayer. Whatever Gotrek is killing this day, it's X-Slayer. <laughs> uh, so, for most of them, move up again. If you still haven't died of the giant, dragon time. If you're a dragon slayer, alright, you're probably frothing at the mouth by this point, but if you're still alive... Go find a greater demon. That'll surely kill you. And if it doesn't, you become a demon slayer. Uh, very few of those, because by this point, you have probably died in battle. But if you still haven't, you get these demon slayers who are basically, want like, one, walking balls of rage and insanity because <laughs> they just want to die, but they... <laughs> I'm just imagining one charging into the battle, just going, "Kill me! Come on, kill me!" You're like, you let, that but that's about? exactly what it is. Like in the Gotrek and Felix books, there's this uh, this one time where they go to Karakadrin, which is you know the Slayer Hold, and Gotrek and a whole bunch of other Slayers are like charging into battle, and they're all shouting like, "I bet I'm gonna die first. No, uh, uh, I'm finding my doom today." <laughs> Race yet to see who dies. First. Like what? It's what <laughs> it is. A weird they're, schoolyard they're, game. And it's just the thing is like they also you know they can't just off themselves. They need to be trying like their hardest, otherwise Grimnir won't take them. It's not an honorable death. Uh, so and slayers are kind of weird because on the one hand they're outcasts. Their family like as far as they're concerned, their friend's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. On the other hand, these are the slayers most likely to, uh, like, meet with other cultures because they don't care. They're going to die anyway, so they're just going to kind of wander about, and if they find a human to be friends with, good for them. Maybe even an elf if they're in insane enough and get past the first round of stabbings. Uh, and they're also a, a wonderful sight to see on the battlefield 
because one, they're charging in first, which means the enemy's going to shoot at them first. And they're usually pretty good at killing things because even if, you know, they die, they don't care about staying alive, which means they're going to charge headfirst and take at least a couple of things with them. Do, um, for example, are there like any mercenary bands that take advantage of these guys and go, look, I'll, I'll put you in a fight worthy of your death and I won't pay you. But like, come and join me, and we'll we'll find you that fight that will kill you. Is oh, that like a thing. All the time, uh, they will usually pay them a little bit, uh, although not like a lot. Like for the most part, they'll pay them enough for like food, <laughs> lodging, and ale. Yeah, you've got to pay for the ginger hair dye. Like, yeah, okay, I, I need that. I'll pay for the hair dye in my booze, and you've you've paid your slayer. Because mm. again, it's like a win-win. The mercenary company gets a wonderful ally, and the slayer gets a lot of chances to maybe die. Uh, that was actually one of the things Gotrick did before the Gotrick and Felix books. He was a mercenary with a uh, a human who became an innskeeper. And uh, him and Felix actually worked for the guy for, like, I think three of the books. Ah. It's uh, actually really cool and a nice, like, character development for Gotrick and Felix. It's like, oh, there's more to Gotrick than just angry ball of rage. Not much, but there is more if you look deep enough. <laughs> Uh, some other stuff. The reason beards are so important is because they worship their ancestors. They like old things. And what better way to tell how old someone is than how long their beard is? Uh, to the point that even one of the dwarf military units is just called Longbeards. Uh, when your beard touches the floor, nice. you join the Longbeards. So you tie it up, you wrap it into a braid and tie it up so it doesn't touch the floor anymore so you don't trip. You get <laughs> Wear it, it as a belt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you get an upgraded suit of armor. And you're a long beard now. Uh, it's not mandatory to join, but most of them do, just because it gives them respect. Uh, and they're, it's a morale booster. And uh, are there any other questions? Because I have a few little little tidbits here and there. Like I said, a little um, bit more surface level, but if there's any stuff you'd like clarified, feel free to ask. So, you know, you mentioned about how one of the, the gods went just kind of outposted. What did the other two do? Do we know anything about the other two of what they've done in the setting other than existed so grungni uh so he um he's he's just like the smith they got you know they pray to him when they're crafting something to make sure it's nice and perfect um like for example dwarves have these things called runesmiths which uh they can't use magic normally like you know like a wizard but they can bind magic into runes uh you know like like enchanting in skyrim kind of i was gonna say the skyrim method of like ah oh, i might not be able to do like 2,000 damage of destruction magic, but if I make a fortify potion and then I build and then I put these gloves on and then I make an enchantment and then I take the enchantment off and then they do a bigger and better potion and then they and then you do the endless loop of like alchemy and enchanting until you're like, my stick of fire now does 7 billion damage. Oh, yeah. great. That's, a, that's what they do. They do all sorts of things with rune magic. It's really cool. Uh, they're called rune lords and rune smiths who have these centuries-long apprenticeships to learn how to perfectly do every rune they can learn. So that's how have dwarves the, do magic. Have the space wolves nicked any of that for their own device? Because I know they're, they're big on runes, but uh, have the has there been bleed over to the 40k universe, or we're not sure? I imagine, I mean, it's similar enough to where I want to say there's but got to have some influence with it. Uh, the difference, I imagine, would be that Space Wolves are kidding themselves when they say they're not using Psyker powers. Uh, when Dwarfs, <laughs> runic magic is actually different. Because magic in Warhammer, if you just capture it in its raw form, very dangerous, very unstable. You've got a decent shot of blowing yourself up with you know chaos explosions and stuff. 
Mm. Whereas the dwarfs, they're forcing it into an orderly shape and making it stable. Like they they grab it by the balls and hammer it into a workable form, <laughs> basically. That's an image. Amazing. Yeah. So there is there are similarities, but it's it, it is still different. Like it's not just I'm a space wolf, so I get my own super duper magic. It's you know the dwarfs mm. sit down, learn over centuries of practice how to do this, and then make magic their bitch. Uh, so there are some differences. Uh, did you have another question? I thought you were asking someone else, but I kind of went off on a tangent about um, the magic. So, so that, that was Grungi, right? Is that was Grungi. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, other, do we know anything about the other one? Yeah, Valea. What happened to her is she went to a, a vault, uh, went to sleep, and promised the dwarfs that when she was awoken, when they found vault and opened it, she would lead the dwarfs into a golden age. And for a while, you know, they looked for the vault, couldn't quite find it though. At least I don't believe they had found it. And if they did, they couldn't open it. <laughs> Uh, for right, then, just like I can't find it, let's go get pissed. I've got a cast. I can't, I can't yeah, find mom. Idea. Uh, for a little bit, there's some cool characters. There's of course Thorgrim Grudgebearer, uh, the high, highest of high king of the dwarfs, mm-hmm. leading the people. He wants to not just hold out, but retake land and expand for the first time in thousands and thousands of years. Wipe clean the grudges. Very cool dude. Uh, there's also Gotrick Gurnison. Uh, the uh, the best and worst slayer to ever exist, because everything that comes across him dies. Uh, he is a brutal killing mm-hmm. machine, and his uh his whipping whipping boy Felix Jaeger, uh, <laughs> who is perhaps the unluckiest man in the entire Warhammer universes. Uh, but very well dressed. Very well dressed. He's quite a sharp looking man. He's also been stabbed, shot, ribs broken, bled, heart broken many times. Uh, he must have a good tailor. Yeah, he's, he has a hell of a tailor to keep everything well stitched. <laughs> For all the organ blood and, you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they're quite famous. They've been all over the world from Cathay to Lustria to the Southlands and the Tomb Kings and Hecara. Uh, all over the place. Uh, they kill everything they come across. And, uh, yeah, very good series. If you haven't read Gotrick and Felix, do read it. I implore you. Uh, other dwarfs, Malachi McKyson, also from Godric and Felix. So is the next one, by the way. I'm mentioning five. Three of them are from Godric and Felix. They're <laughs> very good books, and I love them. Malachi McKyson, the Mad Slayer engineer. He was just an engineer uh, for the dwarfs. He was a bit too radical, though. And one of his inventions blew up and cost some dwarf lives. So they made him take the Slayer Oath. Uh, but all that amounted to was he kept being an engineer. He just got even more reckless with it. Uh, so, for example, he built the Hindenburg. <laughs> uh, just straight up, he built a zeppelin. So, in, in a fantasy but, setting. Uh, but do the the dwarves already have like a, a kind of air fleet, and he just yeah, or did he just invent air tra- aircraft? They, uh, they have gyrocopters, which are dwarf helicopters. They put guns on them and oh, okay. fortunate sun their way across the earth. Uh, but uh, Mackaysen took it a step further. And built zeppelins and then put a lot of cannons on it. Because nice. he is just built different. He's built insane. Uh, he's very friendly. He actually lets Felix pilot the, the blimp for a bit, teaches him how to do it. <laughs> do you want to take the helm of the big death cannon? Yeah, sounds yeah. quite fun. Uh, yeah. He's also very Scottish. Uh, most dwarfs in Warhammer, they're not actually Scottish. He is. Yeah, they're, mo- they're more northern. Yeah, and it's to the point that usually, like, I don't know, I've 
I like to think I'm a little bit good at figuring out like like when someone's saying some of the thick act, thick accent, I can usually still understand them. When I was reading Gotching and Felix, I had to look things up. I had no idea what I was reading <laughs> half the time. Like well, I, I would look know, and go, um, "This is in English." I know I've mentioned it on the channel before, but I love that Forgrim's voice actor is the dad from Peppa Pig, and it's just like that's why he's oh, got yeah, that. There's also hey, oh, I'm from Tip North. I'm Forgrim Grudgebearer. Yeah, that's. I'm uh, not having any of these knifeers over here in. Um, I don't know Newcastle. Like, ugh, can't have it. No, short, it's short. Yeah, uh, Mackay. No, he's a really cool dude. Uh, invents all sorts of crazy things, like the blimp. He's actually built three of them. Uh, the first one was called like the the un like the unbreakable. Well, what do you think happened to that then one? It broke. <laughs> then it broke. Yeah. The second one was called the spirit of Grungni, which, to be fair. It took a dragon, several fights against chaos, and then a sorcerer sneaking onto the ship to finally bring that one down. And then he named the next one the Unstoppable. Uh, although, to be fair to that one, it shows up in the end times, and it's never seen being destroyed. Uh, and there's even some small hints in Age of Sigmar that he might have survived the end of the world. Do you reckon we'll ever get a, a model made of, of one of them? I would... Pray to God I get a Malachi McKyson <laughs> model, man. That thing would be beautiful. Yeah. Although Ten the, grand. <laughs> the next dwarf, more than that, I wish for Snorri Nosebiter model. I've heard a lot about him. You, you've mentioned him. Before. I, I was just is... editing a quiz today that we did recently, <laughs> and you mentioned him. I'm like, who is this Nosebiter? I keep hearing Colin talking about him. He is a, an actual friend of Gotrick from before either of them were Slayers. Uh, I won't spoil his backstory. What I will say is his job is to do two things. It is to make you laugh and smile when you're reading the Gotrick and Felix books because he is all, at almost all times and uh, like just the upbeat, happy, dumb idiot. Like he speaks, He's a bit of a lad. Like he doesn't have a mohawk. What he did was he painted some nails red and then drove them into his brain, into his skull oh. for his own mohawk. Uh, so he speaks in third person now. Wow. Uh, he's happy. He he drinks a lot. Him and Gotrick get into what they like to call headbutting contests, uh, where they just headbutt each other and see who gives first. Wow, uh, that's a friendship right there. He's a he's a very dumb, happy idiot. Uh, although there are every now and then, there's a line that you know if that leads to you know make you think if he's either playing it up just a little bit, or he's smart in his own way. Like, there's one line where he's like, I think this, like, he's like, Snorri thinks this Slayer is rushing to find his death. He should just let it come to him when it does. So he's got quite the chill outlook on his situation for someone part of a mm. death cult. And uh, another line where uh, someone makes fun of him, uh, and he looks him dead in the eyes and says, only Snorri's friend can make fun of Snorri. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that guy stopped making fun of Snorri real quick. Uh, so he's just, no, he's... He's a really cool dude. He is he is a short alcoholic angel. He is just <laughs> nice for a dwarf, nice for a Warhammer character, let alone a dwarf, because they're very gruff and rude. Like he's just mm -hmm. a treat to read about. Uh, his second job is whenever you get a point of view of Snorri Nosebiter, is to make you depressed. Because uh. my God, they like Lamenter's level of depression, this guy. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, I won't spoil what happens, 
But as you start reading towards the Gotchen and Felix book, uh, books coming out towards the end times, uh, you get why Snorri is a slayer, and that's horribly depressing. Um. And then you get the end of that book, and I'll, I'll just be brutally honest, I was teared up a bit when I read that. Like, that was seriously depressing to read. Very, uh, am, like, I right in, am I right in thinking that there's like nine or ten Godric and Felix books or something like that? There's six omnibuses, so I think there's like wow, 18. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I need to read then? Yeah, there's a... You won't want... You will want for more, but you've got a while to push off the I'm out of Godric and Felix feelings. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Snorri Nosebiter... Probably my favorite Warhammer character, honestly. Uh, but by God, am I sad to read about him. Uh, Although, slight spoilers, uh, in Age of Sigmar, he does have a very touching moment with Gotrick. Uh I won't say whether he was alive or dead to keep the suspense going. Maybe he died, maybe he didn't, and he mm-hmm. showed up later on as something else. Uh, but he him, him and Gotrick, force ghost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but him and Gotrick have a very touching moment, and again, that made me like that hurt to read or hurt to listen to because mm-hmm. in the audiobook, but in like a good way, I was like, oh fuck, man, I didn't want this today. Mm. Oh, it was it was awesome though. Uh, I love Snorri Nosebiter, and the last specific dwarf I'll talk about before the end crimes, Snorri Whitebeard. Uh, when that another oath- Snorri? Ooh. Oh, I don't. It is another Snorri. Although, you'll notice that the first dwarf I mentioned was also named Snorri, Malekith's best friend. Mm. This yeah, time, yeah. it's not just a coincidence, you know, Snorri Nosebiter and uh, Snorri Whitebeard. Uh, because Snorri Whitebeard is later known as the Wh- Grombrindle the White Dwarf. Uh, Malekith mm. breaking that oath was, because it was an oath made on his deathbed, such a powerful oath, breaking that, had such an effect that the white dwarf rose from his death and became basically an avatar of vengeance. So wherever the dwarfs go, uh, if the dwarfs are in trouble anywhere in the world, there's a chance that the white dwarf himself will appear uh, to raise their spirits and murder the hell out of whatever is fighting the dwarfs. I guess he'd have to be quite badass if he's named after the flagship uh, Warhammer uh, magazines with with White Dwarf. Like, oh yeah, it's got to be somewhat good. I think actually they uh, part of it was named after him. Uh, they because oh, okay. you know they they had the White Dwarf, you know, Grombrin, the White Dwarf, and you know White Dwarfs are also a you know a star, so it worked perfect. Like, hey, there's the character of the White Dwarf, and it's also you know we got Warhammer 40k, the science thing, White Dwarf like the stars. There's a little fun Warhammer, you know, meta fact for you. Uh, oh, there's also one more dwarf I lied I want to talk about. Joseph Bugman. Uh, you remember I was talking about Bugs Bugman's Ale? How I wanted to try yeah. that. He's uh he is the the greatest brewer in all of the Warhammer universes, bar none. Uh, his brewery was burned down by Greenskins, so he killed all of them, and then he rebuilt it, but founded Bugman's Rangers. So what they do is. They go around the world with casts of ale, a mobile brewing force, and they show up to dwarfs on the eve of battle, give them some of the best beer that's so good it not only feeds them, but like boosts their strength, uh, and then helps them kill whatever they're fighting. I'm sure I've seen the model. He's pretty badass. <laughs> he's, I, he's, it's, uh, 
very simple, him and the white dwarf, but they're just it's just very cool concepts and they're fun to read about. So very cool. Any other any questions uh, before I talk about the the no no times? Not particularly. I, I think it's time to em embrace the the sadness of the end times. Oh, all right. So give the end times the very small amount of credit they're due. Uh, what little like bits of good in them that wasn't hogged by Cetra uh, was reserved for the dwarfs. Uh, although they also get shafted in other ways, so you win some, you lose some. Uh, early on in the end times, Thorgrim finally got his army together to just start going around and stomping people into place, retaking dwarf holds. And early, and uh, also early on, uh, the Ever Queen, uh, the daughter of the Ever Queen of the High Elves, Aliathra, was actually visiting on a diplomatic mission because the Phoenix King of the Elves at that time was actually trying to rekindle diplomacy with the dwarfs. It was actually working because he's actually he's a pretty cool dude. He was the first elf in millennia to have dwarf beer. Uh, and the child of the Ever Queen and Tyrion, Aliathor, was visiting, and the dwarfs actually liked her a lot. Uh, just, you know, cute elf princess, very nice, very charming. And then Manfred von Karstein shows up, because of course he does. He's von Karsteining all over the setting again. Yeah, he can't just let people have fun. Nope, he kidnaps her uh, to help bring back Nagash, because he thinks, and you know, he, there is some basis for this, he'll get the Everqueen's power into Nagash through this, because uh, she is next in line to become the Everqueen, basically the high elf incarnation of one of the elf gods, Isha. Uh, so that happens. The dwarf Tyrion, because his daughter just got kidnapped, nearly starts a brawl between their two armies. But Thorgrim, like I said, he's a cool, level-headed dude, so he basically just tells Tyrion, all right, bud, next time we're not helping, and then walks off to go take more holds. Uh, in the meantime, Nagash comes back. The whole Aliatha thing hurt more than it helped because the current Everqueen wasn't dead yet, so she didn't have the god power. And also as Tyrion's daughter, uh, she had the curse of Cain in her blood. So really all that happened was Nagash got cursed when he came back. Uh, he fixed this problem, however, by... You know how I said Vallejo was sleeping? Having a nap. Uh, instead of a dwarf opening the hold, Nagash opened it. So he went oh, in, no. drained the dwarf goddess Valaya of her power. So now that golden age isn't looking like it's going to be coming anytime soon. And Nagash just ate a god. Uh, so that's rough. Uh, in the meantime, dwarfs are fighting. Things are going bad because it's the end times, but dwarfs are still kicking ass, taking names. At one point, that Belagar Ironhammer fellow I mentioned gets murdered by the Skaven Queekhead Taker, and Thorgrim, who through convoluted, convoluted stupid plot mess, became an incarnate of the winds of metal, that magic. Despite the fact dwarfs can't use magic, but don't worry about it. Shut up. Don't think about it. Buy the novel, the end times. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, he, he did that, so he, uh, murdered Queek Headtaker, uh, and this is one of, again, the few moments the dwarves get something badass in the end times. It's like a ten minute long beatdown, where he's not, he's not even, like, hitting him with his axe, he's just beating the hell out of him and smacking Queek around. <laughs> and the whole time, he's naming every single thing the rat had done wrong in the Book of Grudges. Like, imagine, I, I'm trying, like, Imagine Gilliman, right? And he fights, like, I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know. Can you name a Chaos Lord who's not Abaddon? Oh, God. Huron Blackheart. <laughs> Chaos Lord. 
Okay. Like, imagine Gilman's fighting Kieran Blackheart, and the whole time he's just listing, like, off every chapter from the Bad Ab War that got screwed over in some way. Yeah. Like it, it, and to be it, fair, he's an Ultramarine successor as well, isn't he, Huron? So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just like, it's that kind of level of thing, or it's just like you read it and it's like, that's just, that's cool. Everything going on mm-hmm. around this is awful, but that that's cool. I got to give it credit. So, and he tops it off with Belagar Ironhammer's death, which had just happened, and then snaps Queek's neck with just one meaty dwarf hand. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, however, uh, that was the dwarf cool budget for that End Times book. So, while Thorgrim is retreating, uh, he forgets to close a door behind him in a secret passageway. I'm not making that up, he just forgets to close the door behind him. Ah. So, the Skaven assassin... And the dwarves are so good at shutting doors, we said earlier. He's just yeah, like, shut the door. Yeah. Uh, but it, it didn't work. Uh, so, the... Uh, Skaven assassin, Deathmaster Snitch, just skulks on in and stabs him in the back. Uh, despite also, uh, I might mention, uh, he was the incarnate of the Wind of Metal, so surely there's some tricks with that he could have done. And despite the fact the High King armor has runes on it, specifically to prevent backstabbing. We need him to die. The setting needs to end. Move forward, everyone, please. Don't think about it. And he just, his last words were... I'm not short. And then he died. Oh. Yep. And then rest in piss. So now the uh, the closest thing to a leader they have left is a dwarf named Ungram Ironfist, the Slayer King. He was the guy in charge of that Slayer hold, and he also wants to die because he's a Slayer. <laughs> he's the one in charge. He's yeah. like, I'm in charge of the guys who want to die. Yep. He's he's the, I... he's the fantasy version of Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to die, but I can't because I need to be king of the ones who want to die. Sucks Mm. to be younger. Uh, He's now the closest thing I have left to a guy in charge. Uh, He becomes the incarnate of the Wind of Fire after the elf who was the Wind of Fire guy died. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know how he got it, but whatever. He has it now. And give it some... (laughs) End times. Who cares? It's the end times. (laughs) Stop stop caring. Uh, The faster we get through it. Uh, although to give this is the the next cool dwarf bit in the end times, uh, he takes pretty much every single dwarf left alive by this point, uh, and then every dwarf who had ever lived rises from the earth as a ghost, and just Ooh. as one massive army just crashes into the chaos host taking down the world. A return of the kingdom, nice. Yeah, uh, return of the king only with more alcohol and short people swearing. <laughs> uh, which, you know, again, like I said, the End Times does have some cool moments in it. It's like, you know, all right, you know what? That was cool. If only this existed anywhere else. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not enough. The world still ends. But one last character, of course, needs to be mentioned. None other than Gotrick Gurnison himself. Uh, in the End Times, and this is spoilers uh, for everyone, so if you haven't read the last Gotrick and Felix book, I mean, on the one hand, he has an Age of Sigmar model and books, so you know he lives. But if you want to avoid the specifics of it, uh, do skip ahead a bit. Uh, what happens to Gotrick and Felix in the end times is they go to this ancient dwarf keep that had never been found until recently, that had these ancient dwarf monks around it uh, who had been guarding it for so long that even at the glacial pace their society exan- advances, they spoke an unrecognizable version of Kozilid. So they'd been there for a while. Huh. Wow. And uh, it's found out that Gotrick 
wasn't just some dude who's really good at killing. His axe was one of Grimnir's axes, uh, the god of the slayers. And he was destined to become uh, Grimnir's replacement, holding back the tides of chaos forever. And so what happens is they get there, they find Grimnir, Grimnir kills Gotrick, uh, Felix gets angry and tries to attack him, although he's a god, so it doesn't really work. Well, it's still cool. Shout out to Felix for fighting for his homie to his last breath. <laughs> nice try, mate. Nice try. <laughs> yeah, he gave it his all, and you know what? I th- uh, Respect to him for that. Uh, and then uh, Gotrick is revived. Uh, him and Felix uh, solo Bellacor and one greater demon of each chaos god. Uh quite badass, and then Gotrek... I'm assuming Gotrek does all the heavy lifting and Felix is just there? Like, is uh, he that Felix good that as a does help. I, I can't... He either helped... He either fought Bellacor that head-on, or a greater demon of Corn that had a grudge against Felix specifically dead-on. Because <laughs> I like there's there's one of the Gotrek and Felix books where, like, an enemy has grabbed Felix's arm, and he's, like, pulling him for the... And then you just see Gotrick like just about to cut the thing's head off and it's like <laughs> and it's like that's a perfect representation of like Felix yeah. is like just distracting the enemies long enough for Gotrick to cut them in half. No, it's I mean that is what he does, but to be fair to Felix, he is he <laughs> is an amazing fighter. It's just he's next okay. to Gotrick, so it's it'd be like, you know it, it's like Cato Sicarius next to the lion. It's yeah. Like, you know, yeah, Cato's yeah, you know, he's a damn good swordsman. You're not beaten. You're not gonna look good next to the lion. It's not your fault. Yeah. No, it's just no one is. Or I guess the mm. Luther next to Luther next to lion would make better. Or Lucius next to Fulgrim. It's like yeah. it's not gonna work, mate. Sorry. It's like it's not even your own fault. He's he's just better than you. Yeah. Uh, but and then, very sad. Uh, basically, what happens is Gotrick ascends is the wrong word. Probably descends to the realm of chaos to take Grimnir's place, uh, holding off Chaos forevermore. And Felix is teleported out of there, uh, except he's teleported into a collapsing cavern. And the book ends with ambiguous as to whether or not Felix lives, and it ends with him uh-huh. writing in his journal, if the day is won, if this is ever found, know this, here a slayer lies. Oh. A very sad, although admittedly, fitting end to a story about a guy seeking death and his best friend. Yeah. And then the world blows up setting over. Thanks for coming. Uh, yeah. It's like, uh, all that work. <laughs> Felix spent all that work trying to like make a big document. It's like, oh, not just the library. The world's blown up. So that was a long yeah. waste of time. Jeez. Also, Felix learned that his entire destiny was to just get Gotrick to this point. Which... Bit of he was, a. He was just a courier. <laughs> uh, basically, he was just ensure Gotrick does his destiny. His was Felix's destiny, which kind of a downer. Mm. Although, uh, for a couple things, uh, although the dwarfs, as they were in fantasy, are gone, there are plenty of Duarden. They're, they're dwarfs. Let's not kid ourselves. In Age of Sigmar, including Gotrick Gernison himself, and there's actually a funny moment where he comes across a bunch of like off-brand slayers. And uh, he thinks they're chaos apparitions at first, and one of them's even like, "How did how did you get out of there, Duarden? No one should be able to live in chaos." And he's like, "What the hell is a Duarden? What are you talking about?" Uh, so it's nice at least someone at GW acknowledged the whole Duarden crap. Someone knew it was silly. 
And, uh, you know, there are still old dwarf models in Age of Sigmar uh, in the uh, realm, in the uh, Cities of Sigmar army list. There's the various armies that aren't traditional dwarfs, but, you know, they're still dwarfs, and they're, they're cool takes on the formula. And, of course, the Old World's coming, so dwarfs will be returning to the tabletop in Fantasy. And, hey, hey Total Warhammer. Hey. Uh, very fun game. You can play as the dwarfs. Beat the hell out of everything who's wronged you. Uh, there's nice. even there's even skills like Thorgrim gets skills specifically just called Grudge Against X, and you get bonuses whenever you're fighting that faction. <laughs> so you need to declare war with everyone straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you specifically get skills against beating up people who've wronged you. It's awesome. Uh, any questions? There's actually one more dwarf I really want to mention, just from Vermintide. Uh, any uh, questions? You do I, first. I, I... I have no questions, but I'd love to hear about this Vermintide dwarf. Ah, his name is Barden Gorickson. And on the one hand, he's a great character. He's, again, a friendly Warhammer character, which is funny because, like, out of all the Warhammer characters, the two friendliest one are the dwarfs who usually look down on other races. Uh, no, very friendly. There's even a, on their website a bit how about whenever anyone is feeling down out of the Ubers Reichs 5 from the games or any of the other, like, background NPCs you don't see. Barden will show up in the night, hear them out, give him a cup of ale, and be on his way once he knows you're feeling better. Mm. He's, all just, he's, he's just a cheerful guy. You hear him back and forth bantering and singing during the battle uh, in the game. <laughs> just it's, it's very cool. He's a very cool character. On the other hand, he's made me hate the dwarf language oh. uh, fervently. Because what happens is, like, you know, say there's a, there's a rattling gunner, uh, you know, Saltspire will say, Rattling Gunner. Kruber will say, Rat with a gun. You know, Carillion and uh, Sienna will say something similar. And then Barden busts out the, there's a Kagaburingi that way. Like, what, what, what did you just tell me? What does that mean? And, you know, in these kind of games, it's helpful, like, hey, you need to know what's coming. And then Barden... I, he could be saying racial slurs and Gosdalid for all I know, which actually he is a lot. He is a lot of the time, especially because you're fighting Skaven and dwarfs don't like Skaven. Promise, I don't know what he's saying, and I need to know what he's saying because if I don't, a, an Eshin rat is going to leap fifty yards away from me and kick my ass. Yeah. Uh, no, love me, Barden. Hate the fact that he speaks in gibberish, and I don't know what's about to kick my ass. <laughs> It might as well be Welsh. Like, oh, I, uh, no. while I while I was thinking about dwarfs, I had to get that complaint in there because again, I like Barden. I do not like the fact that his callouts do not help in the slightest. Ah, uh, but uh, that was a uh, again rough little fireside fantasies of dwarfs. As always, uh, with fireside, there's plenty more uh, uh, to learn if you're interested. But, you know, like we've said, this is a, a nice little relaxed chat about the dwarfs and all the yeah, stuff that everyone about. loves dwarves. Yeah, it's and that's again, I remember you were saying like, the, you know, there's the surface level, but it's the really get into them. You need a deeper hook. The dwarfs have that deeper hook. But again, like they also have the surface level, which I think is equally important. Like, because, you know, if you don't have the live in mountains, mine, drink ale, you don't really have a dwarf now, do you? Yeah. So they've got that, but they've got, you know, the Slayer Oath, their grudges, their affinity for technology to the point that they have helicopters and trains in a fantasy world. <laughs> they're, uh, they're very... All aboard, dwarves! Yeah. It's it's very cool stuff. Uh, I like the dwarves a lot. Not as much as the elves, I'm afraid. But, you know, very cool. 
and uh oh, that yeah. was a lot of fun i mean oh, i know a lot of the comments have been i think the ones we've had the most are the dwarves and i think we've had a surprising amount of people ask about the lizard men and they were mentioned a little bit today but dwarves was by and large the most popular request yeah lizard, lizard men are cool uh they're a lot simpler uh there's not as much character going on for them because they're kind of biological robots uh that being said they make up for it by just being kick-ass. I mean, it's a it's an Aztec <laughs> lizard man riding a T-Rex. I don't yeah. think I need to give a sales pitch for that one. It kind of just sells mm. itself. If we did an episode, it'd just be like, here's all the artwork and the models with no no commentary, just one after the other I with think, some epic music. I think that's the, all we need to do. The lizard man episode, we could just stream Total Warhammer, and you, you, could, <laughs> you could watch and chime in like, what the hell is that? What's its backstory? And then I'll give you mm. the 30 seconds of lore that it has and move on. Brilliant. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the dwarfs, everyone. Oh, uh, I suppose uh, in that case, I had a lot of fun learning about dwarves. If you guys in the comments have any faction or part of the setting, any event you'd love to, to see next, please let us know. Um, it's always interesting diving into to, to the fantasy setting, and there's a lot of factions. Like even though we've done a few of these now, there's still so much still to go. And, uh, yeah, and I, I will say that unless it's like a very unique uh, request, we'll probably just go with whatever's most popular in the comments. Yeah, if there's anything like that really uh, sticks out, and we're all like that'd be really interesting. We uh, usually just popular request carries the day. So hey, you were saying Lizardmen were uh, kind of second place. I've noticed that too. Mm -hmm. If everyone wants the Lizardmen, I'd be happy to throw, ugh, throw something together for the Lizardmen. If uh, you come well, up with yeah. someone else, character faction, eh, fire away. If you, want the, if you want the scaly boys, you got to let us know in the comments. you got to uh, fire that, it. Oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, but other than that, I suppose that's, that's the dwarves from Warhammer Fantasy. Indeed. So, thank you all so much for watching. Uh... And, uh, yeah, that about wraps it up. Take care, everyone. Bye.